0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon,
1: Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Monday after a big Packers win, I tell you, I understand it's only three games into the season, but they, they could very well be the real deal. And on top of that, the Brewers, well, they OK, they stagger into the postseason, but still they are in the postseason. So got to give them credit. And um, again, you, you never know. It's a three game series on on paper Dodgers look like a much much stronger team than the Brewers but it's a three game series Christian Yelich could get hot you know who knows exactly what could happen and you can hear those games here on uh News Radio 620 WTMJ okay let let us get started uh the big news of course over the weekend is the New York Times releases a an analysis not the actual tax returns but the New York Times who has been trying for years to obtain the income tax forms of President Trump, releases a summary of those the last 18 years. So somebody, either with the government in violation of the law, or somebody like an accounting firm or a lawyer or etc in violation of internal rules decided to give 18 years of confidential Trump tax information to the New York Times the New York Times does not disclose its source of course and the New York Times also isn't putting the actual returns out on the internet or anything but they are summarizing it if you haven't heard let let me just let me just kind of go through some of the I, I guess Highlights for, you know, want of of a better phrase. Okay, here is the deal for 11 of the 18 years that the New York Times looked at the information. um, President Trump paid no federal income tax. Um, In 2017, after he became president, his tax bill was only seven hundred and fifty dollars. Many of his signature businesses, including his golf courses, report losing large amounts of money. And those losses have helped him lower his taxes. Um, President Trump has been aggressive with taking tax deductions um and, and calling those business expenses, um including expenses for residences, aircraft, and seventy thousand dollars in hairstyling for the television show. Um his daughter, Ivanka Trump, while working as an employee of the Trump organization, appears to have received consulting fees that also helped reduce the um the tax bills. Now the the big thing to, to notice and to figure out here is that In most, in many, many years, President Trump did pay millions of dollars in in tax. What happened was he initially, for example, early on, he paid almost $95 million, $95 million in federal income taxes over the 18 years. What happened was um, he applied for and received a $73 million Tax refund. Um, he, he argued that the refund was due to financial losses that he had received, mostly as a result of the failure of the Trump casinos. So he pays a bunch of money, and then says, "Look, I actually, I am entitled to get a lot of that money back because I have tens of millions of dollars of losses." So the reason why his his tax bill, especially in the last few years, has been lower. Dramatically lower, lower than most of us pay as far as net income is because he he was able to write off 72 and then get a refund for 72 million dollars in taxes that he had already paid. $72 million. That is apparently at issue. I mean, the way the New York Times, you know, writes about it is that there there are some issues. This is an ongoing battle, apparently, with the IRS. The IRS has been auditing it to determine the legitimacy of the refund. About a decade later, the case remains unresolved and ultimately could end up in federal court where it could become a matter of public record. If ultimately that that refund would be disallowed, President Trump could end up owing, well, you know, in the neighborhood of like one hundred million dollars because you'd have to pay that seventy two million dollars back and you'd have to pay it with taxes. So that that that's essentially it. He's not paying a lot of money in taxes because he's got a lot of losses. I want to start off. There's a couple of different aspects of the story that I want to discuss with you. But but let us start off with the obvious one. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you appalled, if these numbers are accurate, are you appalled that President Trump has, over 11 of the last 18 years, paid little or no federal income tax? Are you appalled by the fact that if these numbers are accurate, in what, the first two years of his presidency, he paid under $1,000 of federal income tax? And again, all that's by virtue of this refund that he received that he's still kind of working off. 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this the smoking gun which essentially ends the Trump presidency? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, my, my, I understand, this is, I guess, how I, I sort of looked at this. I, I understand that, that everybody is curious and we, we all want to know how much other people make and things like that. So I understand the interest in this whole issue. I guess for me, the underlying question is, were Trump's deductions legitimate or not? If they were in fact legitimate, if there's no violation of the law, if he's entitled to these different deductions, and by the time you offset expenses and losing properties and things like that, the losing businesses and all, if at the end of the day that means you owe $750 in federal tax, that's what that means. And I don't necessarily see that as a huge story. On the other hand... If it turns out that the guy's cheating the IRS, that's a whole different story. But at this point in time, no lawsuits, no criminal activity. 855 How big a deal is this? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I mean, I guess here, here's how I, I see this. And, of course, it, it's, I guess it's, it's interesting just from a voyeuristic perspective to understand how, like, really, really wealthy people are able to shield some of their income or large chunks of their income from from taxes. Uh, but, you know, he's got a lot of business expenses. If those aren't legitimate business expenses, then fine, crack down on him. If they are, however, I guess I see this story as a nothing burger. If he gets $72 million in a refund because the Atlantic City casinos were, were just you know, ended up going belly up and he's entitled to it, then it's not a story. If, on the other hand, it det- it's determined that that's, that's not legitimate and he owes the money back, well, well that's fine. But beyond that, I, I guess I, I'm not sure what the significance of this story is, other than he, like lots of really, really wealthy people, apparently because of all the different businesses, pay little, little in tax, which... I mean, maybe you can argue it's not fair, but you know Jeff Bezos, who's the guy that owns the Washington Post and Amazon, they're they they're the same way. They they do write-offs. All right, let's start with Mike in Oak Creek. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hey Jeff, love your show. Thank uh, you, thanks sir. for having me. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think you and I are speaking the same language. Um, again, I'm interested in in uh, President Trump's taxes. But at the same time, uh, to your point, I, I don't care um, if, as long as he's working within the, the tax laws, um, right. and and again if he's able to to work his way around that and come up with where he can owe zero tax, then, you know, good for him. I wish I could do it. Um, well, but
1: but, see, and that, it, I guess that's how I kind of looked at it, too, Mike. I mean, I, I have a, a wonderful accountant who does my taxes every year, and I send her all the stuff, and then she'll call me up, and she'll ask me questions about this or that or the other, and she'll say, you know, you're entitled to a deduction for this, so I'm putting that in there. And I, my only issue is, as long as it's legitimate, of, of course I'm – I'm going to take that. Oh, so I, I put money in my nephew's, you know, Edvest account. I get a state deduction on that. Of course, I'm going to take it. So I don't fault. Pe- I mean, that's that's just what any of us would do. I just I don't have a way of writing off all that income. But, of course, I didn't own the Atlantic City casinos either.
2: Right. I think that if people, again, um, if, if you want to shut this sort of thing down, then change the tax laws. Right. So that that again the, and, and again, that's that's not something that President Trump necessarily has control over. Um, right. Uh, in his private life, so no, I'm with uh, you. No, thanks the for the call. About no, thanks for
1: yeah. the call, Mike. And again, look, and I and see, and the flip side of, of this is you say, well, how does he take the write-offs? And I'm assuming, for the sake of our argument, that the write-offs are are legitimate. Now, if the IRS, and again, I, I understand there's this huge debate over like a 72. I mean, he paid lots more taxes o- over the years. He paid a whole bunch of taxes, and then the reason he hasn't paid taxes recently is because he's working off this this 72 million dollar refund. And it's kind of an offset of, of the taxes. Um, a part of it is you, you get to write off business expenses and you get to write off business losses. And that's one of the things that we do in this country to encourage people to make investments and to encourage people to take risks and to also understand that sometimes those investments are going to fail. Now, again, the issue is if the IRS and apparently the IRS – Has been it's just been hanging fire for going on like nine or ten years now. This seventy two million, it might very well be at the end of the day, he's going to own, he's going to have to pay that that back with interest and penalties. And if that's the case, well, well, that's the case as well. But as long as it's legitimate, as long as the IRS says it's okay, who who are we to argue with that? Let's talk to Tony in Menominee Falls. Tony, you're on WTMJ.
2: Yes. Good afternoon, Jack. Hi Tony.
1: You? I'm well, thank you. What do you think?
2: Well, I guess the, uh, one point that I, that came up too when you started talking about uh, the numbers. You know, I think it's unfortunate that people's personal tax records are somehow made public.
1: Yeah, I'm going to talk uh, about that a little bit later. That's right. That's a whole you know, other story. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: It's it's amazing how how little uh, morals we have in Washington. Uh, as far as the taxes go, both you and I know everybody out there listening right now takes whatever deduction they have available to them to reduce their taxes. You know, so yeah. if he took a tax deduction that's legitimate, I have no issue with it. I think it's sad that all we can do is attack people on a personal basis. I'd much rather talk about tax policy uh, or spending policy uh, right. than attack people personally. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of our our mainstream media has gone.
1: Well, and, and then you also, on, on top of that, then you have sort of like the the juicy details. Like I'm looking at the New York Times story, and they make a big deal about the fact that when when he was on television, he wrote off as business expenses like haircuts and, and clothing and things like that. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm here I'm here to tell you, you know, people <laughs> who are on TV, that's what they do. It's a bit, you yeah. know, it's that's, you know, it, it's like okay, yeah, he he wrote that off as a business expense. But that's, you know, hair, makeup, those. So I, I the, I, yeah.
2: I guess that really points out to us. What the real what the real angle of the story is? Isn't it? I mean, right. to to just start complaining about someone writing off a haircut, like, get a real job, will you?
1: Well, I think now, it, in, in fact, in truth, in fact, he wrote off like seventy thousand dollars in haircut expenses over the, the years. Now, so you've you've got that stuff. Now, look, I I understand that there's some stuff that comes out of this that is you know raises, in my opinion, some legitimate questions, including you know the, his daughter Ivanka. She apparently was 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 a was a consultant. It's kind of unclear from the records the New York Times has, at least thus far. But you know, she was a consultant pulling out millions of dollars. And I I mean, I I think you know, I don't know. I guess my point is, I don't know if there is a there there. But the bottom line is, the, these are records that the IRS has. Um, records that, you know, the Department of Justice can get through the IRS. And I guess my point is, if he's committed tax fraud or, or if, even if it's not fraud, if there's a civil violation or something, go after him. I mean, I, I don't claim to be a tax lawyer, but, you know, go after him. But until you get to that point, I, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. He wrote stuff off. And yes, he made a whole bunch of money and he ended up not paying a lot of tax on it because he also had a bunch of businesses that were hemorrhaging money. All right, let's talk to Gary and Kenosha. Gary, you're on WTMJ.
2: Morning, Jeff. Hi, Gary. Um, I would say this: he has to follow the tax code. Uh, when you're looking at, say he's say he's buying property, selling property, you got 1031 exchange, which he can move the tax forward. You got depreciation with all the properties he has. It has to be huge. Uh, this this is basically a yawner, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yeah, beyond the beyond the, again the amounts of money involved, and I mean I understand the headline: guy claims to be a billionaire, and you know he's paying seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes. I mean, I, I so I, I understand kind of that headline story. But to your point, if you, you know, as long as what you're doing is legitimate, and that's the that's the caveat. As long as what you're doing, is
2: he's using accountants, so it has to be well, or at and least billionaires you know, billionaires growing a lot of real estate. But they may not have a lot of net cash when it's all said
4: and done.
1: Um, yes. No. Thank, thanks for calling. See, and I guess that's. I mean, th- that's that is what goes on here. Now, I I quickly get beyond my depth on this stuff because, probably, like you, I. I I, I'm not in a situation where I've got you know tens of millions of dollars of, of business losses or, or things like that I'm one of those guys that the income is pretty much there on you know some investment income and whatever you take out of the 401k and then whatever your you know your uh, w2 salary is so I, I don't have that that luxury my taxes are pretty simple my guess is your taxes are pretty simple and and yes i I, I think most of us paid more than seven hundred and fifty dollars but at the same time there were years that he paid a lot and look i, I I'm not defending President Trump in this regard. I'm just saying that the story to me has to be, was it, was, are these legitimate deductions? I mean, is it legal or, or is it, or is it not? And if it's legal, then it's kind of a a no brainer. Now, why does trump Why did Trump not want this disclosed well, I think there 's a lot of reasons and and you know since the beginning he 's been maintaining that he couldn 't turn over his tax records because he 's under audit well that's that 's not true i mean there 's nothing that stopped him from doing that. He was probably i think you know not wanting to turn over his tax records for exactly this reason. the fact that people would be looking at that and saying, "How could you only pay seven hundred and fifty dollars in two thousand and seventeen or whatever at the same time, I think there 's all sorts of reasons why you can be upset with President Trump. No question about it. But absent more, other than just the voyeuristic aspect of saying, oh, you know, this is this is how much this guy who purported to be really rich pays in taxes. And maybe again, maybe it's a justification for saying we need a, a wealth tax or something in this country. I'm not advocating that. But there, there's points and positions you can move on. But, you know, is is this some huge scandal Uh, six or seven weeks before the election. I'm sorry, I do not see that. I do think that there is another issue that comes out of this. The New York Times attempts to address it in a note to the editors, um, in a note to the readers from the editors. I want to talk about that
0: next. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The votes
1: are in. Now it's time to find out the winners. The Wisconsin Sports Awards are coming. They'll be unlike any WSAs before. Tune in tonight as we broadcast the Wisconsin Sports Awards right here on 620 WTMJ. The ninth annual Wisconsin Sports Awards are presented by Gruber Law Offices, Cousin Subs, Potosi Brewing Company, and American Family Insurance. It all happens this evening beginning at 6 o'clock right here on 620 WTMJ. In another life, when I worked for the U.S. Attorney's Office, it was, even as a federal prosecutor involving criminal misconduct, it was extremely difficult and almost impossible to get access to people's tax records. Let, let's let say you had a situation where you had a big-time drug dealer with no visible means of, of support, and yet houses and cars and all that jewelry and stuff. And one of the things that you wanted to see was, gee, is this person reporting income? Is there some source other than, than drugs? Well, I, just to make a point of it, in, unless the IRS had referred the matter to you as a criminal for a criminal investigation itself, it was difficult, if not impossible, to get access to people's tax records. That is because tax records are considered to be private, and are not to be disclosed to the general public. If you think back to the Watergate era, one of the things that that Richard Nixon was accused of doing was essentially weaponizing the IRS. I've got a political enemy. Let's have the IRS go after them. Let's have the IRS sit down and perform audits. Let's make their life miserable. Let's see if we can find something that we could base criminal charges on. And really, ever since then, it, it has been absent court orders and huge showings, you can't get access to people's tax returns. And that's appropriate because you know what? My tax records are, are not your business and your tax records aren't, aren't my business. Now I understand people would, would like to know them because you'd like to know how much money did people make, you know, what are their deductions, you know, those types of things. So I understand why there is on, on the one hand, why, why people want to see it. But at the other hand, they are private. Now, before President Trump, every president since Richard Nixon has made their tax returns public. All right. And, and that's a voluntary decision that they ended up making, but that's a decision that they made themselves. It wasn't the G, um, somebody leaked those tax returns to the public. So as we now know, somebody has given 18 years worth of tax records to the New York Times. Here's what the editor and let me just share with you what the editor wrote about this. This is Dean Backwit an editor's note on the Trump tax investigation. The New York Times has examined decades of President Trump's financial records, assembling the most comprehensive picture yet of his business dealings. Today we are publishing the results of an examination of decades of personal and corporate tax records for President Trump and his businesses in the U.S. and abroad. The records stretched from his days as a high-profile New York real estate investor through the beginning of his time in the White House. A team of New York Times reporters has poured over this information to assemble The most comprehensive picture of the president's finances and business dealings to date. And we will continue our reporting and publish additional articles about our findings in the weeks ahead. This is now Jeff saying, presumably, you know, leading up to the election. We are not, they say, making the records themselves public because we do not want to jeopardize our sources who have taken enormous personal risks to help inform the public. Let me read that again. We are not making the records themselves public because we do not want to jeopardize our sources who have taken enormous personal risks to help inform the public. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. Let's read between the lines. If this was somebody in the government that had access to these tax returns and decided to give them to an outside party, that would be a felony. The person has committed a crime. If it is... Somebody with an accounting firm or somebody with a, at a law firm or something like that, they have breached an extreme ethical duty and might have committed a crime, but they've certainly breached a, an ethical duty. I mean would you would you want your lawyer, just for the sake of argument, um let let's say, you know, you your accountant, we'll use that as an example. Would you like to learn that, gee, your accountant has just taken your tax records, for example, and put them up on the Internet to make fun of how much money you made or how much money you lost or whatever. It would be an extreme ethical breach and would probably you know, cost that accountant their their license. All right. We are publishing, this. the New York Times continues, this report because we believe citizens should understand as much as possible about their leaders and representatives, their priorities, their experience, and also their finances. Every president since the mid-70s has made his tax information public. The tradition ensures that an official with the power to shake markets and change policy does not seek to benefit financially from his actions. Mr. Trump is one of the wealthiest presidents in the nation's history. He's broken with that practice. As a candidate and as a president, Mr. Trump said he wanted to make his tax returns public, but he has never done so. In fact, he has fought relentlessly to hide them from public view and has falsely asserted he could not release them because he was being audited by the Internal Revenue Service. Most recently, Mr. Trump and Justice Department have fought subpoenas for Congressional and New York State investigators seeking taxes and other records okay they go on and on and on some will raise questions about publishing the president's personal tax information but the supreme court has repeatedly ruled that the first amendment allows the press to publish newsworthy information that was legally obtained by reporters now i'm going to come back to that in just a second to publish newsworthy information that was legally obtained by reporters, even when those in power fight to keep it hidden. That powerful principle of the First Amendment applies here. Now, that's a cleverly crafted sentence because it says it was legally obtained by the reporters. It doesn't say that the information was legally obtained that was passed on to the reporters let me explain the difference let us assume for the sake of argument that you have a government official somebody at the irs just for the sake of argument who doesn't like trump who's decided i have access to this i am going to give the information to the reporter the reporter does not commit a crime by accepting the information but the the person who's gotten it and disclosed it to the reporter has in fact committed a felony if it would be in the IRS or at the very least an ethical violation and maybe another violation as well. So the New York Times says, well, our, our reporters didn't do anything wrong. They just they got it from somebody. Now that person who distributed the stuff, they might have committed a crime. So here you have a situation where you have reporters knowingly and willfully taking advantage of information that they know was obtained in violation of the law or should know was obtained in violation of, of the law. But since they didn't do it, they say, OK, well, we're, we're going to we're going to be able to run with this. That that is legal. It doesn't necessarily make it ethical, in my opinion, and it doesn't make it right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is anybody else troubled by the fact that, and again, I, I understand it's, it's, it's legal, assuming, of course, the reporter themselves didn't, you know, aid in a bet in the, 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 the theft or the making public of these records. But these are private records. They, they are not available to the general public all right, is, is anybody else troubled by the fact that a newspaper would rush to print them? And I understand that we, okay, everybody, or at least certain segments, hate Donald Trump. So, okay, well, it's Trump. Let's expose it. But it could be you. It, it could be somebody else. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Akinet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm sorry. There's something about what the New York Times did that I just don't think sits well. The idea that you know, you know you know that you have information, which is it's privileged. You know it is not legal or ethical to disclose it, but somebody has done that. But because it isn't your reporter that did it, well, you're just going to run with it. 855-616-1620. Should this information be public? We discuss in just a moment.
0: You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Here's a text. Jeff, we were told that his qualification for president was his huge success as a businessman. There is a very blurry line between private and business dealings. We have the right to know. Well, okay. I guess my my point is you you have the right to say he's not releasing his taxes. And that's a big deal for me. So I'm not going to vote for him because I'm troubled about that. But and maybe maybe we should have a law that says that if you run for president, You you have to disclose your taxes. Now, like I say, up until Trump, it's been commonplace to do it since Nixon. But maybe we should have a law that says you have to do it. Maybe we should have a law that says if you run for U.S. senator, you run for Congress, you have to disclose your tax returns. Okay, I'm willing to have that debate, but we don't have that law right now. And I guess I, I understand because... He is the president, and because people have such issues, or at least some people have such issues with him, here, here let's see this, and haha, this, this shows maybe he's not that great a businessman, etc. But at the same time, all right, even as the president, you you have protections. Tax returns are are not public. The public doesn't have access to your tax returns or my tax returns or the president's tax returns, and I guess it just bothers me the way the New York Times approach this. Let's start with David and Mequan. David, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, it's it's extremely troubling uh, for quite a few reasons. One being, I thought it was a federal crime to actually. At somebody else's tax returns. It's like, you know, well, well, certainly uh, if you're a federal
1: certainly else. certainly if you're a federal employee, it is. There's there's no question about that. I mean, if, right. if you're somebody that has access, right. certainly for the federal employees, right now, it's a different sort of thing. If it's there'd be different laws that would be involved if it was an accountant or a lawyer or something like that. And I don't know where they got the information.
4: Right. The second thing is this, and actually, I, I thought about what you just stated. With you know, there is not a law that the president has to release his uh, taxes. I think you know going forward, there probably should be a law, but not only for the president, but for all members of Congress, because mm-hmm. you've got people that have been there for so long and they're millionaires for being a supposedly called a public servant. How do they make their money? And
3: mm-hmm.
4: I think, Jeff, is that this is the same New York Times it's totally blowing off with what actually happened with Hunter Biden, uh, last week. Three and a half million dollars coming from, uh, yeah. uh, somewhere in Moscow with that, that whole thing over there. And it's just troubling to me that it's very, in one direction
1: here. Well, and you know, David, I mean, no, thanks for, you know what's going to happen. I mean, they, they already said, you know that there is going to be, there will be a, I'm predicting, a series of stories that, you know, every two or three days is going to come out with, with some other. Revelation that that makes Trump look like a ta- a tax dodger or or whatever or is embarrassing, suggesting he he's not as good a businessman as he was or or look he he wrote off seventy thousand dollars in haircuts and again it, it's all from from a purely voyeuristic point of view. I I understand why people want to read it and and again I, th- does it raise my eyebrows as well when I hear gosh how how can you. How can you have all this money and, you know, that your bottom line is you're not paying these kind of taxes? But nevertheless, I, it, my big question comes back to is it legal or not? But it does bother me from an ethical standpoint. The, you know, the, the, the media and, and it's sort of like the self-righteousness about, well, we've gotten this. We know that whoever obtained it and disclosed it. Obtained it and disclosed it either in violation of the law, committing a felony, or certainly in ethical violations. At, at the at the very best, best case scenario, it is an ethical, series of ethical violations. Worst case scenario, it's against the law. But the reporters say, well, b- because we didn't do it, because we weren't the ones that, you know, broke into the office and, and stole the tax records, then, then it's okay for us to publish them. And as a matter of fact, that's what I think the state of the law is in connection with that it's still i i I'm sorry I, and again I think I would have this position whether this was Donald Trump or or Barack Obama or Bill Clinton or George Bush that the fact that you know, these are this is information that is protected under federal law and it, it's now being disclosed. And again, I understand the reporters say we've got this kind of higher purpose out there. And by the way, we can't stand Donald Trump. And if this is our way to help defeat him, that's fine. And and is there a newsworthy element to it? Well, of course, there's a newsworthy element to it. I don't deny that. But it's just I just don't think it's anything to be proud of that. You know, you Obtain information that you know was obtained illegally, and then you end up passing it on and you say, okay, well, we're doing this for the the greater good. People will have to decide for themselves the ethics of this. Again, it's not illegal what they did and what they will undoubtedly continue to do for the next two months. Jeff, a few years ago, my business sold products to UWM. But when it came time to renew, uh, UWM wanted access to our books to see how much money we made. We declined to renew. Um, doesn't the person like Trump have withholding and Social Security taxes taken from his wages? Well, I'm sure, yeah, self-employment income, all sorts of stuff like that. And again, it's 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 personal stuff now here's a text Jeff Nixon cheated on his taxes since then all presidents of honor have shared their taxes Donald has not shared his for obvious reasons he's also a terrible businessman even his business school went out of business okay now see that that that's all that that's all fair which is if if you want to pass a law that says that anybody who before is a condition of becoming president you have to disclose your tax returns for the next last 10 years I, I that's fine I'm willing to have that debate but we don't have that law right now. If people want to vote against somebody because they refuse to disclose their taxes, that, that's, that becomes an issue in a campaign. And you know, back in 2016, he didn't call, disclose his, his taxes. He did not give his tax records. People were able to decide whether that was a voting issue or not, and he ended up winning. So th- there's really just kind of two issues here. One is, should they do it? Is it good public policy? Should it be a law? That's one thing. And the other question is, given that it's not, I mean, isn't it kind of like a little bit smarmy and stuff that you have people who are so inclined and so interested in, in seeing him defeated or embarrassed or whatever, that they decide that they are going to break laws or commit all sorts of ethical violations to disclose stuff that is not supposed to be in the public record. And then the media is saying, well, it's not our fault. We, we just got this. We're just the conduit of taking information that was obtained illegally but not by us and putting it out there. And I guess that's what I think is, is, is the problem here. All right. When we come back after the news, interesting hour. Kid gets suspended from school because of something that happens in his house while engaged in online learning. I want to tell you the story and get your reaction to it. And then a little bit later on, the lady gets tased because she wouldn't wear a mask. Were the cops wrong? Interesting story. All that is coming up. Stick around. The Wagner Show continues
0: right after the news. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. The whole world has gone crazy, hasn't it? Here is the story. Nine-year-old child. This is out of Louisiana, but it could happen anywhere. Nine-year-old kid, his name is Ka Mori Harrison, and he's involved in online learning. So the school is closed. This is virtual learning. He lives outside of New Orleans. That That's the deal. So here here's what happens the other day. He's in his bedroom at his desk, and it's virtual learning. And he was apparently sick the day before, so he's taking a, a makeup quiz. So he's at his desk. He's logged on. So you've got the teacher who's on the computer screen, and you've got the kid. The kid has muted, the, the, the camera is on, but the kid has muted himself. So, you, you know, you can't, as this happens, if you've been involved in Zoom meetings, you know that that's pretty much the thing, you, you mute, mute yourself unless you want to talk. And because he is taking the test so he can concentrate, he's got the teacher muted. But you know, So he's he's taking the test. The camera is on, but the kid is taking the test. No problem there. The child, the 9-year-old, shares a bedroom with his brother. The brother comes into the bedroom while this is going on. So you've got the virtual learning, kids plugged in, etc. The brother, who's kind of like walking behind where the 9-year-old is, trips over a it's a bb gun and they've got apparently the the kid has a bb gun that's in his his room and the kids the two of them share it so the one's taking the test the other kid walks behind him and trips and knocks the bb gun over to the floor the bb gun is not visible until the kid trips over it and and knocks it over at which point in time the nine-year-old bends down picks up the bb gun and puts it back, leans it back up, so it's not on the floor where it is. Now the kid, the nine-year-old, while he, he's doing this, the teacher is able to see the child then bend down, come back with a gun, and then the gun, the, the BB gun, as it turns out, is out of out of the picture. Right? It's not like the nine-year-old took the BB gun and pointed it at the screen or anything. It's just. His brother knocks the thing on the floor, it's laying on the floor, the kid reaches over, picks it up, and as he is picking it up, the gun, the BB gun, is displayed on the screen. All right, got the facts here. The teacher sees this and 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 starts freaking out and starts yelling at the kid. But the kid has the the thing muted, so he, he can 't hear the teacher and then what happens is the screen goes blank there there's a the internet goes out or whatever the, the kid didn't disconnect it just it, it goes out right at that point in time, the teacher, now having seen the the bB gun, um says okay here here 's what we're going to have happen." She then calls the emergency contact. For the child, which is the grandparents, and says that that there he's I've seen this. It looks like he's got a gun, etc., etc. You know what's going on. The grandparents immediately go and investigate. They find the parents, and, and everybody says, no, this this isn't. It's it's not a gun. It's a BB gun that was in the kid's bedroom. The older brother knocked it over as he was walking back. The kid picked it up. All right, that that is the story. There is no. There's no there beyond this story. That is exactly what happens. All right. Here's what the school did. The school decided that the child needed to be expelled. They said he had committed a violation of weapons in the classroom setting. They are treating it as if he brought a weapon to school. At a hearing last week, a school official found that the nine-year-old was guilty of displaying a facsimile weapon in class, but rather than expelling him, they decided that they would only suspend him for six days. He was suspended for six days because he picked up and put the BB gun back into an upright position. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Attorney General for Louisiana has apparently uh, announced on Friday that he's starting an investigation into this. Here is my question. In any sort of rational, sane world, under these facts, is it reasonable to suspend a nine-year-old? Not the, They wanted to expel him at first, but now they've decided we're just going to expel, that we'll suspend him for six days. Under these circumstances is it reasonable to suspend him for any time because of this 8556161620 that is the Equinet mortgage talk and text line I- I'm sorry the world has absolutely gone crazy and if bureaucrats and school officials wonder why people don't take them seriously it seems to me it is because of things like this. I mean, I think there's huge things involved here, whether it's invasion of privacy, you know, you've got the online things, so now the the teachers, have the cameras, and they're looking into people's bedrooms, I think that is an issue here, but under the facts and circumstances here, number one, the kid didn't bring the gun to school. Number two, he didn't brandish the gun. Number three, the gun is legally allowed to be in his bedroom. It's not like he's, it's a BB gun. It's not like he's violating any state or federal laws in connection with this. And once you hear what happened, that the older brother kicked the thing over and the kid was just picking it up to get it off the floor, to say that we're going to suspend him for six days is, at least in my opinion, nothing short of insane. What do you think? 855-616-1620. We discuss next.
0: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620.
1: That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. One texter obsessively saying, Jeff, you're not telling them that the student's not white. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what that has to do with anything, but but the, the student is not white that this happened to. To me it's it, it doesn't matter whether the kid was white or black or brown or green or blue. I think this is a stupid reaction. Now, look, I understand if the teacher sees in the background that the kid that that there might be what looks like a a gun in the background at the house. Oh, okay, I understand maybe then you make the phone call. But once you find out that it's a BB gun and once you find out the circumstances behind that, at that point in time, you say no harm, no foul. This is not a situation where the kid took a firearm, real or otherwise, to school. And to treat him like this, I think, is it's just nuts susan in burlington susan you're on wtmj
2: thanks Jeff, for taking my call absolutely ridiculous absolutely i think that too many people get involved in too many things and all i can say is i am so happy that i homeschooled my children
1: yeah well well right you know and i guess the thing is I, I, it's so amazing to me. I understand that you have rules for the classroom. You, you can't bring something to school. But now right. that you have this online stuff, what if, for example, what if you had the child in the kitchen. I mean, you put him at the kitchen table instead of in his room. And in the background, right. in the kitchen, there's, I don't know, there's, there's a couple carving knives or, or something like that. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, he's in the kitchen. There are carving knives there. Now, admittedly, if the kid took a carving knife to class, you might have a different story. But he's in his kitchen. We're, don't Have right. we lost all our common any, sense?
2: Right. I think anybody in their right mind can tell a BB gun from a shotgun
1: right and, and even know? right and, and i guess even if if not susan okay so the teacher makes the phone call you call the grandparents and then you find out oh th- this is what happened there, there's no question about it it's not like again the kid took the gun and pointed it at the camera or anything like that it's oh okay his right. older brother knocked it over even if you think it's okay to make the phone call and I, that, that's fine what to, to go ahead and want to expel him or suspend him that's what i the reaction i think is just so crazy
2: I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, making the call was perfect. They made, you know, the grandparents, the parents aware. Right. Let it go. Yeah, it, it, home it,
1: doing school. Exactly. No, thanks for the call. Here, Here's a texter that makes the point. I was just saying, Jeff, with studying at home, I think we'll have to get used to seeing things we would normally not see in the classroom, like other family members entering the camera, pets being seen in the camera, and possibly mom and dad's gun cabinet in the background, only because that is where the kid has to study from. And there's no way these things are going to be moved to accommodate school rules. The key here is discretion. No, there was no threat to use the gun. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, again, I'll, I go back to what we were just talking about with the, the, the story about the kitchen. I mean, you put your child in the kitchen and there are knives in the background. You know, that it's not like the kid's grabbing them or anything. It's just that they're, they're knives that are in the background. Like you've got the steak knives in the, the thing or whatever. Okay. So we're, we're going to now call the police and deal with that. It's just frustrating to me. That we have this complete and total lack of common sense that is out there and a failure to recognize that, you know, when we use this online learning, you as a school official, you're now going to have an access that that you're not otherwise going to have. You're going to be able to like look into people's bedrooms and things like that. And the same rules you apply to what people bring to school. If you try to apply them to, I, I don't know, the private setting, you're going to result and get situations like this. Just saying. So right now, the kid is suspended for six days. The attorney general last Friday in Louisiana decided that he was going to take a look at this and determine whether or not there were rights that were violated, et cetera, et cetera. Bottom line is it shouldn't have happened in the first place because the school official should have been, what's the word I'm thinking of?
2: Yeah, smarter. This is Jeff Wagner
3: on WTMJ.
1: This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by our friends at Great Midwest Bank, is All-American Window and Door. They are the experts at making your dreams a reality. Visit them at allamericanwindowanddoor.com. All right. Hate to say I told you so. Actually, I don't hate to say I told you so, but I I, I told you so on on this one. And it's a situation where a, a federal judge out in Madison who mistakes his role is instead of being a judge, he perhaps thinks that he should be the governor or be the king or whatever. And has started monkeying with the state election laws. It, it's a situation where, however well intended, he's added, ended up making things worse. You will remember last week the judge, William Conley, and, and he He's a guy who's kind of messed around with election laws before, and some of his rulings got reversed. Others didn't because it was too close to the last election to change. But, but he's back at it again. In the state of Wisconsin, the law is clear, and sometimes laws are questionable. The law in Wisconsin is clear that all absentee ballots to be counted have to be received by eight o'clock on election night. In the case of the presidential election, this would be November third. It's it's a hard cutoff, and the law is the law is very very crystal clear on this. Now this year. We will have more absentee ballots than than ever before. And admittedly, that does put a burden on someone. I mean, you you can request absentee ballots now. The truth of the matter is, if you wait until the very last minute to fill them out and you decide that, hey, I'm not going to send my ballot, I'm not going to put it in the mail till Monday the day before the election, well, there's a good chance that it won't be received by Tuesday. So what that means is maybe in that case, you got to drive your ballot and drop it off at the clerk's office. But there is a burden that you put on voters that if, if you stall and you wait till the last minute, OK, just putting it in the mail isn't going to work. You know, so there there is a little we do ask voters to do a little bit. But again, the law is clear now, maybe. Maybe you could make an argument and say, you know, I don't like that law. I I think the law should be changed. I think that you should be able to have five or six days more to submit ballots. Okay, and again, reasonable people can disagree with that, but that's not what the law is. So anyhow, federal Judge Conley decides last week to issue an order saying, you know, I just don't like this law. So what I am going to do is I'm going to order, regardless of what the law says, I am going to order the state of Wisconsin to count Ballots for up to another week as long as they have a postmark by the the date of the election. Okay, you want to talk about chaos. Because, I mean, for example, imagine if President Trump is winning by 50,000 votes when the polls close and after the things are counted, and then mysteriously the next day you get 10,000 ballots from Dane County, most of which are for Biden, and the Trump lead diminishes. And then the next day there's all these other ballots that come in. It is just a complete and total recipe for disaster. But beyond that, it's not the law. The law is real, real clear, and you can disagree with the law. And my point was, if this federal judge doesn't like the law, he should give up the lifetime appointment on the federal bench, and he should run for governor or run for state legislature and and change it. Well, anyhow, over the weekend, the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit put this order on hold. They said, wait, wait a second. You know, we're, we're going to stay this order, meaning it does not take effect until we have a chance to completely consider it. My guess is they are going to overturn it because, again, it's just it's not based in law. I bring this up because this judge has created a whole bunch of unnecessary confusion by issuing the the order in the first place. As it stands now, if you want your ballot, your absentee ballot to be counted, you have to make sure you either send it in or get it delivered to the clerk's office by the time the polls close on Election Day. Now, it it may be that the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals decides this federal judge is right. I don't think that's going to be the case. But to make sure there's no confusion here, you want your vote counted. So at least the way it stands right now, you have an obligation to make sure that your ballot is received by the close of, of the poll. So... If you've got your ballot now, fill it out. If you decide you want to wait until election day to fill it out, that's fine. But don't assume dropping it in the mailbox is going to get it there by eight o'clock at night. If you wait to the last minute, you have to you might have to either change your mind and vote in person, or or drop the ballot off. Um,
0: that's where we stand right now. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Even if they're wrong, aren't they right? All right, here, here is the, the story. Logan, Ohio, 34-year-old woman. Um, her name is Alicia Kitts. She is sitting in the stands at a, for a middle school, 7th and 8th grade boys football game. She's in the stands. She is with a couple of her kids, and I think she's watching one of her kids who's playing. So she is socially distancing, that they're not around anybody else. She's sitting there with a couple of her kids. She's in the stands. She is not wearing a mask. Now, in Ohio, they have a rule that says that, you know, if you're going to be out in these public sort of settings, you're supposed to wear a mask. She's not wearing a mask. So she's there. She's not around anybody other than her kids. So she's outside. A school security officer, you know, um, comes up to her and and notices that that she's not wearing a mask and says, ma'am, you have to put a mask on. She says, I, I'm not wearing a mask, I have asthma, I can't wear a mask. He says, you have to wear a mask. She says, I've got asthma, I can't wear it. He says, well, if you're not going to put on a mask, then you have to leave. She says, I'm not leaving, I'm here to watch this football game, I'm not causing any problems, I'm not near anybody else, and medically I can't wear a mask. The guy says, if you don't put on, this is the officer, if you don't put on a mask, you're you're going to be arrested for, for trespassing. You're going to have to put on a mask. She says, I'm not putting on a mask. At that point in time, he decides to try to arrest her for not for not wearing the mask, technically, but for for trespassing because she's refusing his instructions to leave. He tries to grab the woman and then put her hands behind her back so he can handcuff her. She starts pulling away. Maybe you've seen this because now people are starting to video this as the guy is trying to like pull her hands behind her and she is resisting. At which point in time, the school security officer, who's a sworn police officer, takes out his taser and tasers the woman, zaps her um, for refusing to comply. At that point in time, after she's shocked, he puts the handcuffs on and drags her away in in handcuffs. Well, as you might expect, this video and this story has now gone, gone viral. And the, on the one hand, the argument is, well, you, you arrested her, you tased her, and you dragged her out because she didn't put on a mask and she said she had asthma. Isn't that an overreaction? The flip side of the story is they told her, you got to wear a mask, you refuse to comply. They told her you got to leave. You refuse to leave. You don't obey the police. What do you expect is going to happen? All right, our number, 855 That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Should the lady have refused to comply or after having been told that she needed to wear the mask, should she have left? if she decided that she couldn't wear it. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is an interesting one to me, and maybe you're gonna disagree with my take on this, and that, that's fair, we'll have the dialogue. I think it is an overreaction to go up to this lady who's by herself, or you know, with her other kids, separated from everybody else in an outdoor setting, and say, you, you need to have have this mask on. And you're going to have to leave if you don't. I think that that's one where maybe some common sense could come in since she's not around anybody else, especially when she says she's got asthma. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. So I I think the police officer might have handled this better in the first place. But having said that, once he makes a decision to say, look, you've got to either put on a mask or you've got to leave. To me, it seems she has two choices. She either puts on the mask or or she leaves. And if she decides she's not going to do it, well, then she is trespassing, and then this thing starts to escalate. But I think the lady m- – maybe the police officer was wrong. Now, she's got an attorney, and people are saying he, he was misapplying the rules, and under the circumstances, there wasn't a requirement that she wear a mask. Okay, th- that may or may not be true. But I guess to me, it doesn't change the underlying fact. The cop tells you, do this, or you've got to leave. I think that, you know, once they tell you that, you follow the instructions. And if you want to call up the school and say, this is what happened to me, I think this was wrong. If you want to get a lawyer and sue the school, go with God. That's okay. But I think this all starts because the lady refuses to comply with the police officer. In this case, even if he was wrong in telling her she has to put on the mask all right, she then becomes wrong in refusing to comply. 855 that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Who is the blame for the fact that she ended up getting tased and hauled out in handcuffs? In my opinion, this is something that was completely avoidable. And mask rule, no mask rule, all she has to do is comply, and this doesn't happen. It just goes back to what I frequently say. You know, police officer tells you to do something, do it. And then, you know, you've got all sorts of ways. You, you can, you can sue them. You can call up and complain. You can go public. But when you decide that you're going to resist arrest, not follow the orders, what happens is you make a situation worse. I'm not sympathetic to her. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line. How about you?
2: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Eight five five six one six one six twenty. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, was she there watching her child play a sport outside, away from everybody else? She has a health condition, but she's still there for her child. I think this is where the mask mandate takes it way too far. And, and I see I, I don't necessarily disagree with that. But but at the same time, if their rules are. Or at least the police officer comes up and says the rules are, ma'am, you have to have a mask on, even though you're sitting in the stands and you're not near anybody else except your family. But the rules say you have to have a a mask on. Well, that might be a dumb rule. Not going to argue about it. But if the police officer says that's the rule, seems to me the response is. OK, yes, sir, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then if you want to challenge the rule or his interpretation, you can p- complain later on. But it, it's the lady that escalates this by refusing to obey the lawful order. And then it ends up that she gets tased. She could have avoided all this by simply doing what the officer told her and then then complaining about it, which would, would be fine. Marcus, um, you're, on the, on, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello there. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I was uh, I was talking to the guy that you know, answered the phone, but right. basically, you know, I, I'm i a black man, so I, I have uh, 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 young adult kids, and I tell them all the time, I don't want to have to be going to a Black Matters Lives protest. So do what the police officers say, and most of the time you're going to come out all right. Even though you may think it was wrong, do what you say, and you can complain about it later. And I think she should have uh, left water
1: mask right exactly and then maybe she thinks that maybe she thinks the rule shouldn't apply to her or the police officer is wrong or whatever and and that that's great okay you you leave and then you you call up and you complain and you if you want to get a lawyer and sue that that's okay you can do all that type of stuff but when you get in the police officer's face you escalate the matters and just and just make it worse and even if the cop was wrong what, what do you think is going to happen when you resist arrest
3: not, not nothing good most yeah. of the time so yeah do what they say right no, they said th- well i
1: see it. and that's that's the reason I want to talk about this in in this context is and I wanted to be consistent because if you're a regular listener, you know this is advice this is the free legal advice from a recovering lawyer that I give out from from time to time which is I, police officers make mistakes there, there, there's just no question about it but typically what happens is you make things worse. If you decide that you are not going to comply with whatever the officers are doing, if you decide, hey, I'm going to cop an attitude or, or whatever and escalate things, that almost always does not work out well. Now, look, look, look at so many of the different stories that we, we've talked about that have led to bad outcomes over the course of the last weeks and months and, and years. It, it typically starts with a, a police-citizen encounter and the citizen decides that they are not going to comply for whatever reasons. They're, they're going to resist, etc. And then that starts to ratchet this up, and, and then you, you go from what is a, an ordinary encounter to all of a sudden sometimes there's deadly force being used, or there's you know, there, there's a physical altercation or whatever. And at the heart of it, a lot of this stuff could just have been just. It wouldn't have happened if the person would have just done what the officer said. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that, like I say, the cops are right all the time. It, it may very well be that the, the the instructions, get out of the car, show me your hands. Maybe there wasn't a basis for pulling the person over in the first place. All right, that, but, but you can work that out. Like I say, that's the thing. After you've complied with what the police officer tells you to do, Right There's going to be plenty of time. There's going to be your lawyer. There's going to be the supervisors. There's going to be the court commissioners. There's going to be the judges. There's going to be the media. Everybody's going to have a chance to evaluate whether or not the officer's instructions were reasonable, etc., etc. But what happens is when you cop the attitude, when you try to resist stuff, even if you're in the right, you've escalated things and bad things happen. In this particular case, I I guess, do, do I... Do I think it sounds like a, a weird and perhaps gross overreach of the mask mandate? Yeah, I, I understand that complaint. But by not complying, she made it worse. Mike in Burlington. Mike, you're on WTMJ.
4: Hey, Jeff, how you doing?
1: Real well, thank you. What do you think?
4: I agree with you. Um, first of all, I want to say if she has a medical condition, she should have a note from a doctor stating that she doesn't have to wear a mask. I mean this mask mandate's been a place for some time now. People have been wearing them voluntarily for over six months now. If that is truly the case, she should have something with her because that's not the only place I'm sure she's going to that requires a mask.
1: Right. 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 And and again you, right. and even if and even if the police officer would said, well it doesn't matter, you know, you have to have one you have to be wearing one here it's not her role to argue with the cop or, or go over his head, you know, call, call his boss, call the school principal, call the district administrator, call the, you know, the, the judge, whatever, go over his head. But by, by provoking that confrontation in the stands and getting yourself arrested and tased, n- nothing good is going to come of that for anybody.
4: Yeah. You shouldn't, you shouldn't resist. I mean, unless, you know, you're uh, physically, you know, um, yeah. you know, in fear of you know someone doing something illegal to you you know I mean a police officer obviously right yeah I, he obviously asked several times to comply she didn't and um, she could have made it a lot easier on herself
1: yeah exactly right, right thanks to calling like I say that's where I say that even even and for the sake of argument even if she was right and there's some question about you know what you know how does the Ohio mask law apply to situations like that but even in my opinion even if she was right. She was wrong in in just simply not following the instructions. And I guess I, I kind of I keep coming back to this, and I just look at so many of the different situations we've had involving police and, and personal interactions. And a, a lot of the really bad stuff could just have been avoided if people would have just done what the officer said on the spot and then complained about it later on just okay I'm gonna put on a mask or I can't wear the mask then you're gonna to have to leave well that's ridiculous all right I'm leaving but I'm calling your boss etc okay that that that's fine you know w- work it out but by by resisting arrest by escalating stuff you you make stuff worse so even even if she was right at least in my opinion she was wrong back with more in just a minute And this is Jeff Wagner, two candidates, one moderator and the American people. Please join Scott Warris and WTMJ next Tuesday. That is a week from tomorrow. No, that's that is that is tomorrow night, Tuesday, for one of the great civic moments in the American experience, the presidential debate. It's President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden on the same stage live from Cleveland. We'll have full pre and post debate coverage and we'll talk to experts and take your calls. President Trump former Vice President Joe Biden in the first presidential debate live on News Radio 620 WTMJ on Tuesday night. Yes, that is rolling in tomorrow night. Fred Grew is producing the show today and always. Have I ever, ever told you my Jim Ott story? No. <laughs> okay, Jim, of course, was the weather guy at, at today's DMJ4 for, for years and years and years. And is a personal friend of mine, and so he was leaving the, the gig as a weather guy, and he came to me and he told me that he was thinking about running for state assembly. At which point I t- I said, Jim, have you lost your mind? <laughs> I mean, because I mean, I said Here, here's what everybody should do if you're thinking about running for state assembly. What you should do is you should go and sit and, and watch the assembly in session for for a day. And, and then, this, because there are some very, very dedicated, brilliant public servants who are in the state assembly. And then there's a lot of people who you just sit and say, oh, my God, they got elected? And I said, Jim, here's, here, here's the deal. It, you, if you run, you will get elected, in my opinion, and you will walk in there, and you will be one of the three or four smartest. The day you walk in, you will be one of the three or four smartest people there. So the question that I have for you is, do you want to spend you know, the next X number of years of your life sitting in, in this room? And this isn't Republican or Democrat. And like I say, there's some very smart, dedicated people, and there's some bozos. So do you really want to spend your time doing that? And I don't know if he ever took my advice or not, but he ran. He won. He's been there for about 10 years and stuff. But I just – it was always like, man, go it, – it's like years and years ago, I, I had – there were I, – I, I never really – I never really got bitten by the judge bug. I never wanted to be a, a judge. But there there was a time where some people were saying, well, if, if you wanted to get an appointment to like a Milwaukee County judge, that this is years and years ago, it, it would perhaps be looked on favorably. And so I'd really never practiced in state court. I was a federal prosecutor. So I, I went over, but in at, back in the day, in Milwaukee County, what they did was new judges, it might be different now, you either went to... Um, Misdemeanor court, or or children's court. That was like the because nobody else wanted to do it. So that's where you went. and And I remember I, I sat for about an hour in both of those, and I just I just watched this, and I thought this is just not how I want to spend my my life. And I I understand there's very important work being done there, but I just was like oh, man, this is just not what I want to do. So I it, did it, 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 we never just pursued it, and other stuff came along, and it all ended up working out fine. But it was like, man, just if you're thinking about running for the legislature, just go sit and watch how the legislature operates for a little bit. And, and then if you still decide you want to do it, well, that that's great. It, it's wonderful. But um, you should at least know what it is you are getting into. Okay, coming up in the next hour of the program, All right, this police officer in Kenosha. All right, is there really another side to this story? We're going to discuss that. Um, And, of course, we're going to talk about Amy Coney Barrett, the woman who will be the next justice on the United States Supreme Court. Stick around. That's all coming up.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Could it possibly be over the weekend, the attorney for the Kenosha police officer who, um, his name is, is Rustin Chesky and he's the, um, seven year veteran of the force. If you look at his pictures, he looks like he's about 15 years old. He's the guy who was responsible for shooting Jacob Blake in, in the back seven times. Uh, the, the, the attorney for for the police officer, Shesky and the Kenosha Police Union, is going public, doing interviews about this, and he's saying, look, here, the, w- what's out there in the public domain does not tell the entire story. Now, let me just start at the beginning here. Part of the problem here is that there are not body cameras. So once again, we do not have video De- de- picture, de- video depiction of the entire contact. If See, if nothing else comes from some of the stuff we've seen with some of these police citizen encounters, it's that common councils and cities and whatever just, just have to get off their butts, and they have to, in my opinion, spend the money to equip police officers with body cameras because a lot of times you'll, you'll have cell phone video, and the cell phone video only picks up the the last minute or two of what might have been a seven or eight minute interaction. And and you just, you you don't have the context of what led up to it. And I mean, my belief is that the vast majority of cases, if you have the self, if you have the the body camera video, it's going to show that the police behaved professionally and appropriately, but it, it might also demonstrate that they didn't. But You know, in a day and age where everybody's got cell phone video, I I think you you have to have this just to protect the police officers, and it should be a priority. But anyhow, here's what the attorney for the police union and for Officer Shesky says happened. Did a big interview with CNN um, Friday afternoon. He said, look, here's the deal. When the the police were called um, on, on August 23rd, it was for a domestic call. Woman said her boyfriend was at that address. This would be Jacob Blake. Boyfriend was at that address and should not be there. The woman, who was the mother of Blake's three children, had filed a complaint against Blake in May that had led to felony domestic abuse charges being filed in July. Blake was wanted for a warrant on on those charges. OK, so what happens is you're, you're re- responding to that call. Um The attorney says what happened is when Chesky arrived, that's the police, he heard a woman say, he's got my kid, he's got my keys. The attorney for the cop says that Blake put one child in the car as police arrived, but they did not know that other children were in the vehicle. So... His story is, the officer's story through his attorney is, hey, they're arriving on this scene. The woman is is saying, Hey, he, he's got my my kid. And all right, so now it raises this question of, what have you come on to? Is this a have you, have you come onto a kidnapping thing? All right, at that point in time, according to the again, the attorney for the police officer, he says that Blake Struggled with the police when they arrived. He was not cooperative, and he had been shot with a taser twice before the shooting. Statement says the officer saw Blake with a knife, ordered him to drop it, but he did not comply. There's a bystander who says he, he heard the police yell, drop the, the knife. The story that the police officers are, are telling is that he had the knife in his hand. He's going into the car and he's starting to turn towards the police. They say, you can't see this on the video, that cell phone video, because it's obscured by the driver's side door that's open. But both, at least two of the officers, say he was starting to turn, and it's that it's that point in time that the officer ended up firing. The Department of Justice still doing its investigation. As of now, they found a knife on the floorboard of the car, but nobody can say for certain whether he was brand he being Blake was brandishing it or 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 not. Could that have just been on the floorboard of, of the car, etc.? Et but the attorney for the Kenosha cop says, "Look here, here here's here's the deal." The police officer arrives, thinks that there might be a domestic kidnapping going on, and the attorney says, look, if the officer had allowed Blake to leave with the kids and something happened to the child, the question would have been, how can you allow somebody who's resisting arrest, who's not complying, how can you allow him to drive off with a child so that when he refused to, uh, again, submit, and if, in fact, he was grabbing for a knife, that's why the shooting occurred. Now, the the uncle of Jacob Blake, he says that this is just he said it, this is ridiculous. He said the notion that Blake was attempting to kidnap his own children, that that's just that that that's false. It, it's not true. This is just a, a false narrative that the lawyer for the cop is putting out. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Now, I don't know what what happened here, and that's one of the reasons why, in situations like this, I, I always try to counsel people that you want to wait for the investigation to, to come out and to determine these things. I don't know if Mister Blake was armed or not. I don't know if he spun around before he was shot with a knife in his hand. Which, if that's the case, you know, might justify a different sort of reaction than 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 otherwise if he hadn't been armed. If if it is true that the police officer thought that you had arrived on the scene and you are witnessing a potential domestic kidnapping, it does explain perhaps why the police were more aggressive in trying to deal with this than some people understand. Okay, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line if there is an element of truth to what the attorney is saying, and I say that's an if, because this is just, you know, people have different versions of these things, but if there is an element of truth to this, does it change the analysis and does it make a prosecution more difficult? And I guess my answer would be, yeah, it it, it does. If, if, and I say if, I don't know, but if the police officer suddenly think they, they've walked into the middle of what might be a domestic kidnapping, I understand what the attorney's saying. He's saying, well, what? how can the police, if that's what they thought they had, how can they simply let somebody drive off with the child in the car? Can you imagine the outrage for that? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, I take no position. I don't know what the investigation is going to find, but if that was the perception of the officer that, hey... I'm I'm trying to stop somebody from driving off with, with a child or multiple children that don't belong to me, and here's a guy who's not complying, and here's a guy who uh, has a knife in his hand or whatever and is starting to turn. Does that perhaps go to explain why the officer did what he did? 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text line we discuss in a moment.
3: Back to
0: Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. <laughs>
1: Here's a text. Jeff, what garbage? How do the police know the story on this guy? Well, I, I don't know if they know the story on the guy other than they know, and I'm, and again, I don't know if this is what happened or not. I'm just repeating what or summarizing what the attorney for the police officer said led up to this. Said, okay, we you've got to call that there's a domestic situation. You pull up and he says that the officers hear a woman saying, he's got my kid. he's got my keys. And you see a guy putting a child into a a car. All right, so now what what do you think you have going on? You try to investigate. And this is why it's you wish you had you wish you had body cameras to show, you know, what happened leading up to the shooting. But but they don't. So at least according to the attorney for the police officer, it's like, hey, they're they're trying to stop the guy. They're trying to detain the guy. He is resisting to the point that, you know, they tase him twice. The police officer through his attorney says the man is carrying a knife. Don't know if that's the case or not. And that he turns at one point in time, you know, and kind of brandishes the knife. All right. Does that change? If that's true, and I say if, does it complicate the matters? And I guess my answer is, if that is true, yeah, it it does complicate it quite a bit. I I don't know what the decision is going to be, but it does complicate the matters. Let's talk to David in Lisbon. David, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hi there. Thank you for taking my call. I I really enjoy your show.
1: Thank you. It's very kind Um, of you.
2: I guess guess where I come from with this, and it's... What I was telling your producer is, in a way, it almost um, is similar to the story of the whole, what you were saying with the football, what happened at the football The game. woman who got tased that, for
1: refusing to... to right.
2: Yes, and where I go, this situation could have been avoided so easily if the individual, I mean, after the first tase, that right. should have been a red flag to say, hey, these guys are serious. Yep. And then when he got tased again the second time, it was like going, oh, I got really something going on, and then they're following with a, a gun drawn. Mm-hmm. I mean, this whole situation could have been avoided if you would have just stopped and said, "Let's sort this out afterwards." Well, um, yeah, and-
1: yeah, David. I mean, I, you, see, and that—that that is, you know, actually, that—that's why I did that first topic before this one because you're—you're you're right. Now, look, we—we we do not have the death penalty for, for resisting arrest or, or things like that. And it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean that, that shooting somebody at close range is automatically justified because they're, they're resisting arrest. And, I mean, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's going on here. You know, what, was there in fact that we know there was a knife, but was the guy brandishing it? Did he have it in his hand? Was he trying to turn to the police officer? But to the larger point, it, it is one of these situations where th- this is it's an avoidable situation. If, if, for example, in this case, the the man d- didn't didn't escalate the stuff by not complying with the police officer. Now, again, that doesn't justify if the police weren't justified in the shooting. They weren't justified in the shooting. But it is another one of these examples where stuff starts to escalate. Now, I, I don't. Again, I I don't know the the uncle for Jacob Blake says this is just not not true. And but at the same time. If it is, if there is some degree of accuracy that the police officers arrive on the scene and suddenly they think they're in the middle of a domestic kidnapping situation, if that's what they think, it does shed some light on this because the question is, do we do we let the guy just drive off with the kid in his car after he's resisted, after we've told him stop? And, you know, you've tased him. He's fought that off. Can you just let him drive off with the child in the car? You know what? And I guess my answer to that is, is if you really think it's a domestic kidnapping case, can you imagine the reaction there? Oh, we came upon the scene. The guy wouldn't comply. So we'd let him drive off with a kid in the car. That's not a tenable thing either. And I'm not making excuses for the police. I'm just saying this version being put out by the defense attorney if it's true, and I understand that's an if, it it certainly it certainly provides a different perspective on this that complicates the prosecutive decision. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon.
3: Hi, Jeff. Hi Tom. Say my point my point is that uh in the beginning they said that there were kids in the back of that car. And my point was all along was that You could not, there would be no way that you could let that car drive off with kids in the back of that car. I don't care. Now, it's bad news that the man got shot at close range. But if he would have took them kids, got in there, and drove off, got in an accident, killed them kids, and he stayed alive or whatever, what would have been the reaction of the public then? I mean, who would have been saying, hey, the police are at fault here. They had this guy. And they didn't
1: do nothing yeah well you're, you're right I mean if 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 the police officer thought he was he had come upon the middle of a domestic kidnapping and they had just let the guy drive away you know you're right you, you know that that would have been everybody would have gotten fired for that how can you let somebody drive away you know how can you let somebody kidnap a uh, a kid if that in fact is the case so you were thinking about that all along huh
3: Yes, I have, and because they came out with that on the news right away, that there was—I uh, thought they said three children in the back of that car. Right, there were right. Yeah. There were
1: three. There were two. Apparently, there were already in the back of the car, and when the police officers arrived, they saw him putting the third kid in. They—they they didn't know that there were two other kids in the car. They just saw the one kid going in. Yeah. Can
3: Can you imagine that dude taking off with with three kids in the back of the car? And you're not going to go away slow because you know the police are going to be coming after you, so you're going to be going at a high rate of speed. I mean, how, how foolish are people? Well, I mean, no. You have to stop the situation.
1: Right, well, thanks, Nicole. Well, again, you know, and of course, you you got to separate it out because that, that in and of itself would not justify pulling out a gun and shooting somebody multiple times under these circumstances at close range. But if you couple... And again, I, I'm I, I'm I'm not making a definitive statement. I, I want to wait to see what the investigation shows happen. But if you if you were to shout, shout out this scenario that you think suddenly you've arrived, you know it's a domestic dispute. You have a woman saying he's got my kid, he's got my car. You see somebody you know, putting a child into the back of the car. That that person, if if they you know refuse, if you're the police officer, you tell them stop, hold on this. They refuse to do that. And they continue doing this after even being tased once or twice. And if they have a knife in their hands, and I understand that's an if. I don't know that that was the case. But if they've got a knife in in their hands and they're not stopping and they're getting into that car and you've got the kids in the back of the car, you put the officer in a real interesting situation, a, a very, very difficult situation. And it, it might be. Go a ways towards explaining what ended up happening, because I will be the first one to admit you look at that that snippet of the the videotape we have from the end of this situation, and it's difficult to explain why would you pull out your, your gun and fire as many times as you did at close range into the guy's back. On the other hand, if this is the overall context, you understand perhaps the situation the officer was put in, if that is in fact the case. Here's a text, Jeff, when I was hearing the story for the first time, that exact scenario was absolutely my first thought. The kids would have been taken on a 100 mile an hour joyride, like happens many times, and the police would have been the bad guys for not stopping it. Um, Jeff, I was in law enforcement for 30 years. One of the things that you don't want to happen is to allow the situation to go mobile. What happens then is that a chase occurs, and you're not only putting the officers involved in the chase um, and Mr. Blake and his children in peril, you're also putting the uh, public in danger. High-speed chases can end up in very bad endings. Jeff, I totally believe this was a domestic dispute, custody dispute, potential kidnapping, because early on, the lady told reporters that's what was going on, and um, that he was about to take them away from her in her vehicle. Um, well, you, you do have that there. Jeff, how did he not drop after two tasers? I Fair question. Fair question. Um, now, some people are, are saying, look, you know, r- regardless of whether this is all the scenario to shoot somebody at close range in the back was, in fact, an, an overreaction as as we frequently say, the, the question with deadly force is: Are you entitled to use it in the first place? And if you're entitled to use deadly force, it's it's not like the movies where you're they're taught to like like wing somebody. I mean, they're they're taught to shoot to stop the threat. So the fundamental question is: Are they allowed to use it in the first place or not? Look, I, I don't know if if the attorney's version that he put out on CNN is is in fact the case. Don't know if the facts support that. All I'm saying is that the more details come out, the more I think this becomes a a much more complicated situation than maybe some people, including the governor, thought in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. Back with more in just a minute.
0: Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right. People lined up. How were you wrong, Jeff?
1: Now, see, I, I see. This is my philosophy. I don't think there's anything wrong with admitting if you are. One of the things you do when you do what I do for a living is you, you take positions, you make predictions, you act as a pundit. You, you say, okay, based on the information I have, this is what I think is going to happen, and I, you, you'll, you'll be right. I'm right a lot of, on a lot of stuff, but every once in a while, I. I'm wrong. I I freely acknowledge, as many of you have never forgotten, that in 2016, I did not. I was one of the many, many people who did not see President Trump becoming elected president. I didn't see him beating Hillary Clinton. I was wrong. That doesn't stop me from making other predictions. And I will about this election. And maybe I'll be right or maybe I'll be wrong. But, you know, I, I was wrong. Something else that I was wrong about. Well, this week, Major League Baseball playoffs start. And the Brewers have, I mean, they've kind of staggered into it. I mean, they got in through as as much of a backdoor way as you could get into the playoffs. You know, if they if they beat St. Louis, they were going to be in. Yesterday, they lose to St. Louis, and then both the Giants and the Phillies have to lose, and those teams both lose. But anyhow, it doesn't matter. You're, you're you're in. Does doesn't matter. You're you're in. So they they made the playoffs. When Major League Baseball season restarted, and we were talking about how you were going to keep COVID under control. I said that I thought it was probably about an 80% chance, maybe more, that baseball would not be able to finish the season. I I thought NBA had a chance at doing it because they were going to be in the bubble so you could control this. But with Major League Baseball, with the teams traveling, with them interacting, and and the reality that even though you had all these protocols, you you have guys that were going to be... Probably not following the protocols and that's that's what happened in some cases, but they were able to enforce it and baseball was able to complete their abbreviated season. and now the the playoffs start I guess tomorrow night. So I didn't think it was going to happen. I want to freely acknowledge that I was I was wrong. They were able to complete it. that's good playoffs now move and they're going to be like the playoffs are in certain sites. And I mean, now that they've gone this far, I think it's pretty clear that there, there will be a world series. There's going to be an asterisk, but there will be a world series. All right. Here's, here's what I want to talk about moving forward. The commissioner of baseball, Rob Manford, that sits down and does an interview with the wall street journal o- over the weekend. He said, look, here's the deal. We're glad we were able to get finished. You know, we've got, and and we're glad we're able to give people baseball and all that. But but here's the problem. This, it's been a tough year. And in baseball, about 40% of the overall revenue that that the baseball teams get comes from the games themselves, the in-person games. It comes from the tickets that the fans buy and the parking revenue and the beers and the brats and the things that we spend at the stadium. That's about 40%. So what Major League Baseball did this year is that they got some money back, you know, with the, the TV revenues and things like that, but it's all the teams are going to lose money, and they're going to lose a lot of money because, you know, they're paying out the salaries even though they're prorated or whatever. But they're, you know, just imagine if all of a sudden you took a 40% pay cut and your expenses stayed the same. It, it would be a, a challenge. And so what Manfred is saying is that, you know, moving forward, after we get past this year – we, for next year, 2021, we've, we've got to get people back in the stands. We, we have to figure out how we are going to do that because we, we can't have just financially a, another year of baseball played in front of cardboard cutouts. He said it's just not financially sustainable, which got me thinking. And because, I, I'm, I have a, my, my buddy Evan and I, we, we have two tickets. We, we share season tickets, 20 games. And we just, we, we had renewed and just you know, filled out the paperwork and stuff. So, you know, we kept our tickets. We didn't ask for a refund. So we, we've committed to the same package for next year and I've sent all that off. And I'm looking forward to going to the games. All right. Here we are. It is almost October. Now the Major League Baseball season is supposed to start. Well, like late March. So October, November, December, January, February, March. So six months from now, we're, if everything is normal, you, you've got opening day and you've got people going back into the stands. 855-616-1620. That's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Are you going to be willing, six months from now, do you think you're going to be willing to go back? into a professional sports stadium to sit at American Family Field or Miller Park or whatever to watch a a ball game. Are you going to be willing to do that? What's it going to take to make you willing to do it? Is it going to be, well, there has to be a vaccine, and it has to be widely distributed, or is it like, you know, it's time to start resuming our lives. And, and yes, maybe I have to wear a mask, but you know what? I'm ready to go back to in-person outdoor sporting events. Indoor sporting events might be a little bit different, but all right. Are, are you going to be willing to go to baseball games when opening day rolls around next March or April? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. I think my answer is going to be yes. But I'm curious as to what you think. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: If you really want to make this a difficult question, say, Jeff, you're asking if by opening day next year, am I ready to go back to to watch baseball, sit at an outdoor stadium? Real difficult thing would be, hey, the Brewers start the playoffs this week. If there was a home game in Milwaukee, would would you go this week? 855-616-1620. Are you... Are you were going to be ready to go back to a stadium? Do you think in the next six months, uh, Rusty in New Berlin? You're on WTMJ. I'm sorry, Two Rivers. Um, it's
3: Rusty. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah.
4: Rusty and Two Rivers. Right. Uh,
3: I'm ready to go back if, if
4: if the playoffs were if the Brewer playoffs were in Milwaukee, I'd be there uh, in, in a heartbeat. Um, I'm waiting for the Packers to to uh, open up the fans too because we got season tickets for the Gold Package. I'm Mm-hmm. Um you know, I think if people take if, if they make the right precautions and, and the right restrictions, you know, as far as wearing a mask and 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 all that, uh, I'm ready to go.
1: OK, so um, you you'd be willing and you'd be willing to wear a mask if they said you got to wear a mask to watch the game. You'd be willing to do that.
4: Well, we got to wear a mask for just about everything else now yeah. anyway. So I don't think it'd be much different. OK, sounds um, good. No. Would I like it? Would I, would I like it? Not necessarily. But you do it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I would do it. Yeah. No. Th- thanks for uh, call. I mean,
1: yeah. I, I don't think any. I mean, I don't. I don't think anybody likes wearing the masks. I mean, I understand there's people who just. Yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody likes wearing the mask. But, yeah, if you have to do it, you have to do it. I mean, I went into a drugstore today to pick up a prescription. Yeah, it's. I, do I, you like wearing the masks? No, but I understand. That's the rules. Jeff, I'd go tomorrow if it was allowed, and I don't want to have to wear a gosh darn mask. Um, if you are health compromised and there's no vaccine, then you should think twice. But me, I'm not hiding from germs the rest of my life. And if that costs me, okay. Somebody says, absolutely. That's from Steve and Genesee. I'm ready to tailgate. I'm ready to enjoy a game. Jeff, I would go back if it was less than 50% capacity. Okay, here, here's the, and, and here's the problem with that. I, I don't know that they make enough money. And I, I understand it, it doesn't, you hate to think about coming down to money, but, 50% capacity, which is better than nothing, I still don't know that 50% capacity generates the type of revenue that they have to have to meet their expenses. Let's talk to James in Milwaukee. James, you're on WTMJ. Hello.
2: Yeah, Jeff. I think I would, but I'd wait uh, a little into the season a little bit to uh, before um, I'd go to the game. But I think that you're going to see another 60-game season again uh, next year. I don't think... Uh, Baseball's gonna, you know, the hmm. stuff, the sports and everything else is gonna be parred up to what it used to be, that, and I think we're gonna have to accept that. Hmm. And well, players are gonna have to accept that too, I guess, one way or the other. And like you just were saying about fifty percent, I think that's what's gonna be too. Uh, it's gonna be the norm for a while.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, James. I don't. I, I disagree with you. I, I don't. I don't think they're gonna do another sixty game season. I, I think they're they're either going to figure out that we can have fans back in the stands or or not. The the 60 game season and the the playoff thing that was kind of a just something they threw together this year because they were in in the middle of the pandemic. I my guess is it is more likely that next year is going to going to look like what it did in the in in the past because I just uh, otherwise it seems to me it probably just doesn't make dollars and cents to do it. And I guess maybe I'm just being an optimist, but I I think 2021, I think we're going to have more of a handle on it. I think that there's going to be a, a vaccine that's around and that people are starting to take. I'm not saying COVID is going to dip, disappear. Matter of fact, I'm the guy that says I think we're going to have to figure out how to live with COVID for the foreseeable future. But I just I think the world is going to start opening up. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've am i got a, a cruise to Normandy, river cruise scheduled for next September. I, I think, I am think it's going to go. I'm planning that we're going to go and I'm planning that there's going to be, you know, professional sports. Now, a difficult question is I'm talking about next March. You know, what, what does the NBA do? Um, what does college basketball do? Do I think that in two months, that they're going to be in a position where you can take a Fiserv and, and you can put 20,000 people there cheering for the bucks. I don't, I don't think we're there yet. Six months, maybe. Um, Jeff, um, mask or no mask, my girlfriend and I will be at opening day. We will be there with beers in our hands. Um, that's it. Um, Jeff, I'm ready to go back. I just had and recovered from COVID for otherwise healthy people. It's just not that bad. Well, that's um, that's the perspective. Jeff, it's difficult to say. I guess it all depends on where we are with COVID. If there's a dramatic improvement, I would do it. Jeff, this is from Rich. I am there. Count on this. Um Jeff, I'm willing to go to games, but plenty won't be. Um I don't know. I guess that's going to be the, the handle on this whole thing. But going back to where we started, I, I admit I was wrong. I, I didn't think they were going to be able to get through the season. It, it's a credit that they did. And again, if I was looking into a crystal ball, my guess is that the next season of baseball is going to look a, a lot like previous seasons have looked. Hey, before we, we turn it over to Eric Billstad, who's in for John today, I did, I did want to mention w- one other thing. And the legislature still has time to get this right in Wisconsin under the law and we've talked about this before, absentee ballots cannot be counted until the polls open on Election Day. That has worked out fine in the past when there haven't been that many absentee ballots. This year, they estimate that there's going to be more than a million, maybe as many as 1.8 million. If the clerks can't start feeding these ballots into the machines until Election Day, you're not going to have accurate counts on the numbers. You're not going to have counts for for several days after the election. State uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson came out over the weekend and said something I've been saying for weeks. And this isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. It's that they should change the law so that it's like a lot of states are and allow the the clerks with appropriate restrictions allow the clerks to start feeding those absentee ballots into the machines as they are received. And and a number of states do that. There's all sorts of precautions that you can put in place to make that happen. So instead of gee, it's now election day. We've got all the people coming through the doors and we've got just, you know, cartons and cartons and cartons of absentee ballots that we now have to start processing them. Let them start processing them in advance so that on election night you can get some results. I don't think that there's any reason not to do it. Ron Johnson came out over the weekend and said, yeah, he thinks the state should change the law. I think the state should change the law. Tony Evers, Robin Voss, Scott Fitzgerald, this, this isn't a partisan thing. This is just a good government, good election thing. Get together. Let's get this done before the election so we don't have a mess on November 3rd. When we come back, we're going to find out what Eric and Melissa have on their minds on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.